weekend we saw a champion crowned in victory and another champion even in defeat. Welcome to episode 35 of Bike Life. Let's go! Yes, it's one welcome to episode 35 and a stacked edition of Bike Live this week uh, as we have six races to look back on uh, from last weekend. Three at Brands Hatch, which saw the crowning of the British Superbike champion, a six-time champion in Shane Byrne as he cements his status as the greatest British Superbike rider of all time. Um, but our hearts go out to Leon Haslam, who uh, saw the title ripped away from him with a brake failure in the final race of the season, but he proved his champion's spirit if nothing else, with his sportsmanship after losing the title. We'll talk all about that over the course of the next couple of hours. Um, we'll also talk about all the other big stories from the weekend, as Josh Brooks came very close to sneaking in through the back door, and Christian Iden claimed the most expensive paperweight in all of motorsport. Um, we'll also yes. look back on all the action from Bategi, another barnstormer of a MotoGP race. As good a race as you will see in wet conditions as Andrea Davizioso defeated Marc Marquez in another gripping head-to-head -head between the two, um, bringing the championship lead down to just 11 points. Um, as I say, all the big stories from Bategi are covered too, including Maverick Vinales likely dropping out of the running for the World Championship, um, Romano Fanati keeping his championship hopes alive for now, um, and the Moto2 Championship closing up by virtue of a disqualification from a race that took place a month ago. More on that uh, in a little bit. Um, this weekend's racing is already underway as we record this on Saturday afternoon, so we're not going to discuss what's happened so far, um, both at Jerez in World Superbikes and at Phillip Island in MotoGP, um, because by the time this show goes out, um, that will probably be made redundant by what's happened. Um, yep. But um, but joining me for this week to talk about everything that happened last weekend, and there was a lot of it, Andre Harrison. We've got a lot to cover. What do you mean I can't talk about Karen Abraham qualifying on pole in Philip Island? <laughs> um, no. Um, yeah, money can I, buy you anything these days. Yeah, exactly. I mean, who, who would have thought it would have taken that much money to get that fun grid slot? I mean, gosh. But um, hi, guys. How you doing? Dre here. Um, yeah, a, a lot to cover, and we're going to actually try and compress this in quite hard because uh, Thunderby has work to go to, yeah, poor guy. Yeah, I have work <laughs> to go to. I'm literally running on um, a few hours sleep um, after, uh, after what I actually stayed up for the, for the qualifying what sessions last night. Um, and we thought we would record this during daylight hours so Dre doesn't have to worry about using unnecessary electricity. Um, so, uh, <laughs> so, all right, well, so, uh, so let's uh, quickly get on with this and tell you about the places you can find us. Um, starting on Twitter at motorsport underscore 101. Um, quick point, um, shout out to all of those that um, responded to us on Twitter after last week's show who enjoyed the uh, 2011 Brands Hatch finale that they'd watched for the first time after uh, yes. hearing about it on this show. I'm glad that we could introduce that race into your lives. Um, it was one of the great races of all time. Um, well, that was <laughs> at, on, at motorsport underscore 101 if you want to get involved with us on Twitter on Facebook we are motorsport underscore uh, sorry motorsport 101 facebook.com forward slash motorsport 101 over there um, same on youtube.com forward slash motorsport 101 um, Dre's impromptu Google Hangout from last week is still available to go and watch um, right now um, yep. you can also uh, find us on our website motorsport101.net where back issues of both of our shows can be found um, and if you want to earn those episodes earlier than everybody else with early access uh, by backing us financially, uh, head to Patreon, patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. Uh, right then, let's head to Brands Hatch and the British Superbike Championship finale um, that took place at Brands last weekend. Um, Andre, we 
kind of undersold this really last weekend, so I don't think we were expecting this to go anywhere near as close and as dramatic as it did. Uh, Leon has them going into this with a 32-point championship lead um, over Josh Brooks and 33 over Shaky Bone, which indicated that it was going to be a relatively comfortable weekend um, for the Britain on the JG Speed at Kawasaki. Um, but it started to unravel as very early as race one as uh, Shaky Bone piled the pressure on. Yeah, pretty much right, right from the start. This this like this is one of the few weekends in BSB where it pretty much went by the form book. If you remember the race we had during the regular season earlier on, where it looked like Shaky and Brooks were the two fastest guys in the field round Brands Hatch, and that's pretty much how it played out. And you know, Shaky put the pressure on early on by winning race one very comfortably indeed, and Haslam struggled in the midfield. Mm. Yeah, Haslam finished down in fourth in race one um, and had to really work hard for that because he had Ellison and O'Halloran right on the back of it for the last few laps and Haslam had to really get his elbows out to hold on to fourth um, with uh, Christian Eden and Josh Brooks ahead of him on the roster. Now, heading into the weekend, Leon Haslam knew that essentially three third places would be enough to win in the championship, even if Shaky did the triple um, but of course, fourth was outside of that, so that effectively um, started to bring the pressure on. It brought Shaky Burn to within a race's worth of points. It brought the gap down from 33 to 21 points, um, and it was really Dre on Sunday where the championship really started to turn in Shane Burns' favour um, and against Leon Haslam uh, in race two, where again Haslam went into that race knowing that as long as he kept his head, did a solid job, finished third or fourth, um, he would have it in his hands going to the final race. Um, but a series of problems saw the championship really turn for him. First of all, uh, a quizzical and a curious tyre choice, and then even when the race got going, that JG Speedbit Kawasaki chose the worst possible moment to hit clutch problems. Yeah, they, they stuck Haslam on the softer compound tyre, which maybe which people think, oh, that's not a big deal. The problem with Haslam, we'll see, we won't say it's a problem, but it was the way Haslam, Haslam's style, he prefers the harder compound tyre. The colder it is, the better he runs. And, well, given the most of it takes place in Great Britain, that's hardly a bad idea. And, well, the thing is, is that Haslam doesn't like it. He has never liked the soft tyre. We saw it last season on the Kawasaki where they really struggled on, on places like Snetterton and Fruxton where the softer tyres tended to, you know, disintegrate on the Kawasaki quite quickly and Haslam had severe problems. So he's, he's, had, he's made a knack of riding on the harder tyre. And, well... I don't know whose decision it was to put Haslam on the soft compound tyre, but they should probably be getting their P45 in the morning because that was not a very clever idea. And of course, well, it was all for naught really because the bike suffered clutch problems all the way through race two. And oh, Shaky won that race too. Mm, yeah. Bit of a problem. Yeah, which <laughs> brought the championship lead all the way down to two points going into the final race of the season. Um, so Haslam had already hemorrhaged 31 points to Shane Byrne in two races um, that weekend. Um, which really meant we had a, a an all-or-nothing championship decider. And it, it gets forgotten, really, I think, Dre, based on what happened later in the race, which we'll get to in a second. But Leon Haslam was inspired in the early laps or the early stages of that race. Because let's not forget, Shaky Byrne started from the front of the grid in race three. Leon Haslam, right. having had such a poor race too, started 11th on the grid. And, Shaky, and Leon Haslam was ahead of Shane Byrne by the point they'd reached Graham Hill Bend on the very first lap. He had a brilliant start. Well, arguably the start of the year. That was an unbelievable opening from Neil Hazard. That was that was the, I am going to try and win this race or crash trying start. Mm. Um, 
magnificent stuff from Hasler again, ahead of his title rival in what was essentially a winner-takes-all showdown up the front um, for the for the championship. It was a magnificent start from Hasler. Um Did exactly what he needed to do. Hmm. Dot dot dot. Until until yeah, until lap six. I mean, yeah, it was it was an incredible start. I mean, Shaky Burn. It, it, it has to be mentioned had a poor start too. Um, but it was just what Haslam needed at that stage of the race, where Shaky went from first back to sixth on the uh, first lap, or first three corners, and Haslam went from 11th up to 5th, um, all the way ahead of Shaky, which, given that there was two points between them, it was essentially whoever finishes ahead uh, wins the championship, assuming that they were up in the top four or five um, in the race. But yeah, lap six, heading down the end of the back straight towards... Um, yeah, towards the end of that straight, and a pretty fast corner, it has to be said. Well, uh, unfortunately, Leon Haslam started to make it even faster um, with what happened at the end of that straight. Um, there's no good time um, to suffer a brake failure on a motorcycle, um, but as bad times go, this one's right up there, given the corner he's heading into and also the situation in the race and the championship. Leon Haslam was in position. Um, in He was in championship position at that stage of the race, Dre. Um, and... He uh, pulled for the uh, front brake, heading into the uh, corner, and found nothing doing. And essentially had to jump off his Kawasaki at 172 miles an hour. Words cannot describe how terrifying yeah. that looked in real time. It it was horrific. Um, they did not exaggerate when they said 172 miles an hour. It looked like it was about 200. Mm. It was... Like I looked at that and I thought, how on earth is he still alive? And I didn't, I didn't even, I don't even say that to exaggerate. I thought he was a dead man when he hit the wall mm. because I thought, Jesus Christ, that is terrifying. And Brands Hatch is not good for runoffs. It just isn't. No matter which way you slice it, it is a pretty dangerous circuit. And like Leon Haslam suffers a brake failure down on the run towards Hawthorns at 180 miles an hour. He has to jump off at 172. He comes away with a broken ankle, a broken wrist, and a severely damaged ego, I'm guessing, because, uh, Jesus Christ, it was terrifying. There is no other way of describing it. Yeah. Absolutely terrifying. I mean, I, I got home from work, at, well, at the end of race two, so I turned on the TV to see that Shiki won the championship and was kind of amazed. I mean, I knew that... There was a there was a small gap going into that final race, but I was thinking you were amazed. Shaky won a championship. How dare you? Well, yeah, given, <laughs> yeah, given how far back he was at the start of the weekend. But no, it, it, from what what I noticed just from purely looking at the result was that Haslam wasn't there, and I'm thinking, oh no, Haslam's Haslam's bottled it. Haslam's choked it in the final race. Until I then sort of rewound back to see what happened to him, and then as soon as I watched that accident, that I was I just straight away was like, something's not right there. That bike wasn't slowing down. Like that did not look like your traditional front end crash or a high side where the you know you, just, yeah it's just on. the bike just you just you just bail from it. Um, I, 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 huge at all over again. Yeah, it was. It was just a yeah. Get off this thing, otherwise the worst might happen. Um, yeah. and, and Haslam, it, it still amazes me, Dre. I mean, that's the kind of mindset that us mere mortals who never race motorcycles at that speed can never really comprehend that. A split-second decision to basically decide at 172 miles an hour, I've got to jump clean off this motorcycle. <laughs> I, I laugh at this only because of how terrifying yeah. that prospect sounds to me. It's like, yeah, I'm at 170 miles an hour. There's gravel, and there's a wall only about 50 feet the other side of this gravel trap. Let me jump off this bike at 170 miles an hour. Yeah, it's, it's a level of... It's a presence of mind and a... And a just a level of you know mental capacity that 
those kind of level of motorcycle races have, and just don't as, have. As we don't just don't have that. Um, we'd we'd have just been sit on boulder bike and been catapulted over the fence. Um, you know, it's yeah, it's, it's, it's just incredible this presence of mind that these guys have. Um, and because of all of that, what we were left with was essentially a title fight between the guys who were second and third um, in the championship. Um, and uh, Josh Brooks, who did what he had to do, he went into that final race. 22 points off the championship leader of Haslam, um, and uh, as a result, um, 20 behind Shaky Byrne, who led it um, uh, on on the track, as it were, in that race. And it's amazing, given how the, the showdown panned out and how Haslam looked so good for the first three rounds, how amazingly Dre, mm. given with his win in race three, he very nearly led Josh Brooks in through the back door. Yeah, he was like again, Josh Brooks was ultimately finished as runner up in the championship because of the because of the bad maths and obviously Haslam's disastrous race three. He only won the title by three points in the end. Josh was right there. If Shaky drops another couple of spots, Josh Brooks wins the championship out of nowhere, and we're, and we get we're going to have really difficult conversations about who deserved this title the most, mm. and in, in inverted commas because that's a, all that's all sorts of awkward, but. Uh, yeah, uh, Josh Brooks there very, very nearly snuck in through the back door and won the title again. And that wouldn't that have been a story for the for the uh, Anvil team, yeah. uh, the Anvil Tack team, after the amount of grind they've had to go through since getting those R1s. Yeah, it would have just been, yeah, it would have been a fortuitous championship, I think, uh, um, to say the least, <laughs> if, uh, if Josh Brooks. But in many ways, I guess that's kind of what the showdown is all about. It, it creates that sort of high-pressure environment over a short run of races. <laughs> And can create these kind of scenarios. And we'll come back to Haslam um, in a moment because of the remarkable, remarkable show of sportsmanship after the race, um, which we'll come on to in a moment. But uh, as far as Shaky's concerned, uh, Dre, the, as you mentioned, there will, there will even, even with what happened, even with Shaky winning it, there is a conversation as to you know, who deserves to win that championship. I think they both kind of deserved it equally, as um, much of a cop out as that might sound. I think they both did. Um, at the weekend, uh, um, but do this man for his cold takes. But <laughs> but it has to be said, as much as the championship will kind of go down as the championship that was won because Haslam's brakes failed, Shaky Burn made that happen, didn't he? Um, the very fact that he took it to a two-point championship heading to the final race was was down to Shaky, down to his double in races one and two. Even though Haslam had poor races in both of those with his various problems, it was Shaky's brilliance and Shaky's pace in those first two races that created the final round scenario that we got in the end. Exactly. Um, there's, there's like, like Shaky, he scored 50 points through the first. He did exactly what he needed to do to give himself a chance. That That's what it was. A chance to open the... I mean, if Haslam's crash happens in race one, we probably don't have this conversation. Hmm. Um, and and that's, that's just the nature of bike racing sometimes. And Haslam, of course, was incredibly unlucky but let's not forget shaky burns had problems all through this season as well bad runs of form crashes bike reliability problems this has not been an easy season for shaky either let's not forget that he's not had things go his own way he had terrible runs of form in the middle of the season in the regular season but again and again his, his showdown round at Aston was a disaster as well by his standards so let's not forget this has not been an easy championship for anybody to win but as you said, like the, the the chance was given by Shaky. Shaky gave himself a chance by winning those first two races, by putting the pressure on Haslam. And we okay, we were we were robbed of a truly 
you know, a, a truly satisfying ending to this championship fight because of what happened with Haslam. But you can take nothing away from Shaky Byrne. And again, the first two races and him doing exactly what he needed to do to open the door to, you know, to where, where a, an unfortunate incident like you know, Haslam's failure is what opened the door and gave him a chance to win the championship. And that's all you can ask for as a rider. You can only ever beat who they put in front of you. And unfortunately, while Haslam did give us a rather unsatisfying conclusion to the championship, it doesn't take anything away from what Shaky was able to accomplish. No, not at all. I mean, it, what I tend to do after everybody's Superbike season is I tend to look at how the season would have finished under regular points. I haven't been able to do that yet. Um, so I'm kind of curious as to how that would have finished. But looking through the regular season, um, Shaky Byrne, if you take it from the very start at Donington to the end at Brands GP last weekend, Shaky Byrne won seven races the season to Haslam six. Um, so they were pretty evenly matched, but Shaky won more races through the season. And we have to remember, Dre, um, I mean, they've all had their injury problems, but of course, Shaky, uh, their injury problems, Shaky didn't even turn up until round two at Brands Hatch Indy when he fell off in that first race. Shaky Byrne had that concussion which ruled him out of the first round of Donington. And you could see the emotion from Shaky um, after he yeah. won that championship, the sixth title. It was possibly the most unlikely championship that he's had to win. Um, and he's possibly not had to work as hard for any of his five previous titles as he's had to work for this one. Indeed. This, this was not easy for him. Again, as I mentioned, like, his, his regular season, he had many a bad day at the office, and he's had to really fight for this one. Haslam you know, had a fantastic showdown, no matter which way you slice it, especially the first four races of it, where he had put himself in an almost unassailable position. And again, it just goes to show you how unlucky he's been this year. But take nothing away. I mean, like, shake, like don't act like Shaky's not had to fight for this because he absolutely has had to and you could see how much it meant to him because you know what I, I think it was a title that even Shaky didn't think he was going to win this time round mm. um, and he already said he went into the weekend with the attitude of let's just ride and let's see what happens yeah, let's basically just say, let's just enjoy it let's just enjoy it let's just enjoy my ride and let's see and let's see how this goes at the end and you know turns out he got there in the end um, and it meant a lot to me. I mean, it's the first time he's actually successfully defended a title as well. I couldn't believe that. I was like, get this straight. You've won six BSB titles and you've never actually defended one. Weird. But um, yeah, there you go. It's, it, meant, it clearly meant the world to him. And you, you could see that he's still motivated, still wanting to perform at his absolute best. And he's, he's still the man to beat in various superbikes. Even despite the struggles he's gone through this year, he's done a fantastic job and he is still the face of the series. And again, he did exactly what he needed to do to, to get there in the end. Yeah, and he, he turns 41 next month. Um, what an astonishing, oh. astonishing man he is. Um, and the great takeaway, I think, from the weekend, Dre, was just um, what great role models and what great sportsmen and we have at the front of British Superbikes. I mean, <clears throat> Ollie Rushby, the um, BSB reporter for MCN, um, said that he had a tear in his eye um, when Haslam was carried to see Shaky Bird at the end of the race to congratulate him um, on the title. And I'm pretty sure he wasn't the only one. Um, from Neil Haslam's point of view, that took a lot. Um, not just in terms of you know oh, having, having lost a championship, just to go and congratulate the guy that's beaten you to the championship when you had it effectively in the bag 24 hours earlier. But especially given the right. fact that Leon Haslam was being carried around with a broken ankle um, after that crash that he had um, and several other broken bones as well in his hand. Um, yeah. Just just incredible sportsmanship. Um, yeah, broken ankle and a broken wrist 
for Leon Haslam. Um, and just proving what great role models and what great sportsmen that we have at the front of BSB. Indeed. Um, I, I know a good friend of mine, Alice Wakeley, who was down there at Count Von Crash, who, who's a massive Haslam fan, and she told me that she was straight up bawling her eyes out when she saw Haslam being carried onto the grid um, to, to, to congratulate Shaky. He's one of the most noble and just genuinely altruistic, like, again, like moments of sportsmanship I've ever seen in sport. That was incredible that, you know, Haslam, despite obviously probably being in an immense amount of pain and um, obviously physically and emotionally to have had a, a, a title to play. Because let's not forget, Haslam's been a runner-up in BSB four times. Mm. He's been desperate to win this championship and he's come... So close. Still, on yeah, so still hasn't won a top-level championship. Of course, he's had those four runners-up spots in BSP, and he's a runner-up in the World Superbike Championship as well. Um, and it's yeah. just—I mean, I think that was part of that that played into how we were all so gutted for Leon because he's some—he's come so close so many times, and yet again there was another stinging the tail for him. Indeed, it, it just was. It, it, it's, it's just a lot meant to be for Leon, isn't it? Like the yeah. racing gods clearly just said, "Sorry, Leon, it's not your day." And. Uh, yeah, seven his brake lines. I, I, I don't get it. It's 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 so cruel. But again, a a wonderful gesture from Leon Haslam to go out on the grid. That'd be a carried by I think it was his dad and his team boss. Um, so he can he congratulate Shaky. Shaky couldn't believe it when he saw Haslam at the end that he carried up. And um, some of the photos were magnificent. Um, shout out to Matt Roberts who did a great job getting right in the middle of that and capturing it all for us to see on TV. It was it was. Maybe that is the, is the truly satisfying ending of the season, even if it was kind of in sombre circumstances. But uh, an incredibly noble gesture, and like I'm, I'm now going to be a Leon Haslam fan full time yeah. because of that. that was a that was a wonderful thing to do. And I you know what I, I, I'll tell, I'll hold my hands up right now. That would not be me. No. <laughs> I, I, I'd be like, where's the nearest hospital bed? Yeah, um, yeah someone get um, this guy a title, damn it. Um, but no, oh, but no, yeah, it has that. That be me as well. I'd be, uh, yeah, I'd be uh, crying my eyes out, and not just not because I've lost the championship, but because of the pain in my ankle. Um, but Leon, oh, Leon Haslam, Leon Haslam, in his own words, um, speaking to MCN, said, "I knew straight away my foot was broken, but there was no way I wasn't coming back to pit lane for the end of the race. I wanted to congratulate him, and doing it then or an hour later when I'd been to the medical centre wouldn't have made any difference to the ankle. It'd still be broken. I had a good load of gas and air in the back of the car, so it wasn't too bad." Um, that's just again just a measure of the man and he says you have to respect your rivals he fully deserves this title and is a great champion but this makes me more determined to come back and beat him next year I've, I've seen much greater sports athletes in many many sports lose championships and not have that level of, of, of being so philosophical about it and so congratulatory yeah. to their rival as Leon Hazen was I mean again just, just that pure quote of just you know, even if I'd waited an hour, the, the ankle's still broken. I'd much rather go and congratulate the guy who's won the championship. Just tells us all about the man. He's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a good, good dude. Um, again, he's a, he's a better man than me because that would not have been me. No. Um, to say, you know what, let me go back and congratulate this guy. I, 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 I would not be able to reflect on, on, on losing a championship that was so bitterly fought for, especially given he went into that weekend 32 points in front. Like Haslam was was a massive odds-on favourite to take the title home that weekend. I think it was something like one to seven or something ridiculously low like that. And again, just for Haslam to have his his entire season crumble in the space of a weekend and oh gosh, just 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 awful, just awful, awful. But yet so so brilliantly profound, mature, 
and just class from Leon Haslam more than anything else because like I said, I guarantee you that would not have been me no. to go out there and go and go and you know to congratulate the guy like that and say well done, given the amount of pain that he had to have been, like I said, both mentally and physically to be able to to go out there like that and to congratulate him. And, and I, I'm glad that Shaky appreciated the gesture as well because that that was uh, a, a truly noble good thing to do. It was like like, the, like I've always said it before. It reminds me of when Alicia, Alicia Spagaro was talking about. Salon when he got into his fights with Brooks earlier this season, you, you could tell Alicia was a good is a good dude in the same way you can tell that Leon Haslam is is a good dude deep down, and that 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 there's value in that no matter which way you slice it, no matter how much you win or lose. Yeah, absolutely. He didn't win the championship, but he won many many fans, and he has plenty already. Um, after last weekend, another guy who I felt sorry for um, last weekend was uh, Jack Valentine, who's the team boss of the GG Speedbit team or one of the team bosses there. Um, and those of you who watched the uh, 2011 title finale after our show last week might notice him because he was the uh, team boss of the Suzuki team that year with John Hopkins who lost the title by six thousands of a second so uh, yeah Jack Valentine right. hasn't got the greatest of uh, memories of Brands Hatch it's another painful championship defeat for him um, around Brands Hatch um, so uh, yeah he'll uh, he'll be looking forward to hopefully going one better um, next year um, as far as the other three then who were part of the showdown because um, they were essentially out of it um, before they arrived at Brands Hatch but Jake Dixon went in with a slim outside chance in fourth but uh it's a bit of a shame, Dre. He's fallen to sixth in the points, and I, I kind of can't help but feeling that he deserves a little bit better than that, um, Jake Dixon. But, but even with a, a pretty disappointing final round where he didn't really score many points at all um, across the three races. In fact, I don't think he did score a point at all until race three um, of the weekend when he finished um, down in 12th. Um, a breakthrough season for, for Jake Dixon, who has just proven to us all what a bright, bright future he has. Let's, let us not remind you, he is 21 years old. The youngest man to ever make the, show, the showdown format. And he's absolutely belonged at the front of this, uh, in the front six of the championship. Yeah, all privateer, small. Kawasaki. He's been absolutely fantastic. One of the riders of the year in all three classes for me. Uh, and in pretty much everything on two wheels this year. Jake Dixon has been stunning. Um... Again, like nobody would have put Jake Dixon down for this at the start of the season. Absolutely no one. Um, it's like seriously, like, like those listening to the show right now, like show of hands, who thought Dixon would be in the showdown? Okay, put your hands down again. You're a liar. Mm. Uh, unless you're a close member of Jake Dixon's family and you're a liar, <laughs> because like there's there's no way you you would have thought you'd have made the showdown. They get to win multiple races this season to make the showdown format to be competitive with, with some of the very best riders that BSB has ever seen, and to finish sixth overall. And it, it would have been fifth if it wasn't for O'Halloran's fantastic second place at the end of at the end of race three to steal fifth place overall. But by any measure, an outstanding season from Jake Dixon and definitely one to look out for in the near future. Um, his, his future will be very bright indeed, no matter what we rewrite it on two wheels because he's a great talent. Yeah, he's uh, he's going to be uh, winning many, many races and championships, both here in Britain and hopefully uh, abroad in the future as well. Um, he's going places, his young Jake Dixon. Um, yeah, as far as the other two guys then, um, Peter Hickman taking fourth place in the championship at the end and um, that was really a reward for, for his consistency, Dre, um, Pete Hickman, through the season, who scored points in every race bar one. Um, and that was the race that just about everyone failed to finish at Silverstone race three. Um, yeah, a, a fantastic season for Pete Hickman. And, and fourth does feel like a, a welcome reward for him, not just for his season, but for the fact that he was the only BMW rider to make the showdown. 
Yeah, that that is impressive going. Like, like again, like, no, I, I, I had to mention this at the end of the season. Like, I said straight up, listen, like no one's going to talk about it, but Peter Hickman's been fantastic this season. Just just a model of consistency all the way through. Has barely get barely put a foot wrong all year. Scored points in every round but one. There, I, I'm glad that you know Hickman has proved that consistency is still the way to, to really have the best level of success rather than having flash-in-the-pan victories here and there. Hickman's been superb on that BMW all year long. Had, again, had a couple of the wins to show for it. I'm glad he had that. The first time a Smith's Racing rider has ever made the showdown, top BMW in the championship. A bike that has had, yeah, we've had guys on it make the showdown, but none have been as competitive as Hickman has been so far. And, yeah, I mean, he, he didn't have the best time on that three-bike speed fit team last year, but he's... He's, he's spearheaded Smiths and done a very, very good job this year indeed. So uh, congrats to him on a fantastic fourth place. To be the fourth best rider in BSB in a season like this where the top three were all outstanding in their own right um, is very impressive indeed. So well done, Hickman. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. If you want a measure of how good Hickman's season was, just look at the three guys that finished ahead of him. Uh, just three, exactly. just three, as Pete Hickman said himself, three world-class riders um, ahead of him in the championship. Um, all in quality teams on outstanding machinery, um, which have, with the greatest of respect, have more of a history and more of a, a pedigree in superbike racing than that BMW has. Um, they do. That BMW, I mean, it came close for Kianari a few years ago, but it's it's still not won a championship um, here in Britain, um, in the British Superbike Championship anyway. So um, for Peter Hickman to do that is a outstanding job. And Jason O'Halloran, who again is another guy, Dre, that kind of goes under the radar because he does it through consistency and stealth rather than... Um, you know, headline-grabbing results. But nice to, for O'Halloran to cap his season off with, with an outstanding podium from sixth on the grid, which very nearly became a victory. It very did become a victory for him. So, yeah, absolutely right on that one. Uh, gosh, <laughs> and that was a very, very tight race indeed. And, again, that, that whole bottom three of the show in general was very close between Hickman, O'Halloran and Dixon. Yeah, but, and yeah. We shouldn't forget, of course, with O'Halloran that he's done this. He's reached the showdown and finished fifth in the championship on this brand-new Honda Fireblade that hardly anyone around the world has managed to make it work. Exactly. Like O'Halloran has spearheaded the new Honda. I mean, Gay Linford's had a couple of moments. Obviously, Linford having multiple wins this year. Again, maybe he's got a little bit of added upside that O'Halloran maybe lacks. But again, O'Halloran, another guy that has made a, made a name for himself off of consistency. Mm. And he's done a brilliant job with that pretty much all the way through. Um, again, O'Halloran, as you say, that Honda Fireblade was nowhere at the start of the season. It's been nowhere in, on world superbike level this year as well. But, again, he's found a way to make it work. Um, and he's done a brilliant job all season long. And Halloran, is, we already knew he was one of the best riders in BSB um, last year on the old Fireblade. Halloran was in the showdown for that one as well. So this, is, this, is, this isn't that surprising, but at the same time, it's still a measure of, a, of how great he's been able to adapt to a brand new bike. And he's been able to raise it to a point where it's been competitive, especially in the second half of the season. It, that Honda seems to be getting stronger by the round, and I think they'll be, they'll be challenging for wins again next year, yeah, for sure. Same record of consistency as Hickman. He scored points in every race, with the exception of race three at Silverstone. Um, so a, a brilliantly consistent campaign for Halloran, which earned him a spot in the showdown, even though by virtue of having no main season victories or second places, he didn't really have a leg to stand on when he got in the showdown because he didn't have the podium credits uh, to fight with. Um, outside of the top six then, the um, most expensive paperweight in all of motorsport um, has a new home at Tyco BMW and Christian Iden, um, who won the Riders' Cup by virtue of his two second places in races one and two, 
Um, and a strong finish in race two as well. He finished in fifth place, which saw him win that BSB Riders' Cup um, by 10 points from James Ellison. Um, and that kind of feels like scant reward for Christian Eden. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of glad he's got a trophy to show for it right at the end of his season, but this is a season that could have yielded so much more, and you can't really say that any of that was uh, Christian Eden's fault. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, we, we, we already saw what, what had gone on with in, in Silverstone in a race that probably shouldn't have happened in the second half and how he was the biggest victim. It was like, remember, Eden was so fast in that, in that race three at Silverstone. And that's ultimately what probably robbed him of a spot in the showdown. And yeah, he's been, again, another rider who's been outstanding all year long on the BMW, probably the fastest of the BMW riders out there. And has, again, been a great team leader um, for. Um, you know, for 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 the Tyco team going forward, and he, he's been again regularly on the podium as well. Great, great pace overall. Just again, a very unlucky to have the injury, and then doubling down with that very awful Silverstone um, hijink situation that probably shouldn't have been a thing in the first place. But again, Eden will definitely be one to watch for next year. I think if BMW can find a little bit more for Eden where he can maybe turn a couple of those races into wins, he'll be one to watch. Yeah, six <laughs> podiums across the season for Christian Eden, and uh, we, we shouldn't forget that he, because he missed two rounds mid-season um, through injury, um, did it, and he did not take part in the rounds uh, at Knockhill and Snetterton, which saw him um, hemorrhage an awful lot of points, because he was around top three, top four in the championship when that injury occurred. Um, and really uh, hit his season for six. Uh, Luke Mossy is another rider who can kind of have that hard luck story to tell. Um, he's his season never recovered from that injury that he suffered um, back at Thruxton early in the season. In fact, he uh, only had a, he had a fifth in race one at Silverstone, and then he didn't finish in the top ten again for the rest of the year. Um, so uh, Mossy will be one rider looking towards uh, next year. Um, here's how the three races finished then at Brand Satcher on the GP circuit. Shaky Burn, the winner of race one from Iden and Brooks with Haslam in fourth. Um, Ellison came fifth ahead of O'Halloran, Hickman, Jackson, Brad Ray, Top Suzuki again, and Richard Cooper, who uh, was a one-off replacement on the Bennett Suzuki on the uh, retro liveridge Suzuki in tenth. Uh, race two, Burn again, the winner from Iden with Ellison on the podium this time in third ahead of Brooks. Um, Brooks um, missing out on the podium and uh, those three points became quite crucial later on, um, finishing down in fourth. O'Halloran fifth, Hickman sixth. Uh, then came Glen Irwin, Michael Laverty, Dan Limfoot and Leon Haslam, who scraped his way to tenth. Uh, race three, Brooks the winner, uh, rounding off his season with victory ahead of O'Halloran and Ellison, with Michael Laverty up in fourth. I'm pretty sure that is his best result of the season uh, for Michael Laverty. In fact, no, it's not. He had a second place in that monsoonical final race at Silverstone. Um, we'll take that out of it, and that's his best result of the year. Uh, Christian Eden, fifth to win the Riders' Cup. Hickman, sixth. Linfoot, seventh. Shaky Burn, eighth to win the title, ahead of Brad Ray and Richard Cooper. Championship standings finished like this. Shaky Burn, the champion, on 637 points by three points from Josh Brooks. Leon Haslam finishes third in the championship, and by saying that, I just can't help but feel there is no justice. Um, Leon Haslam finishing third in the points on 6-3-1. Hickman fourth, O'Halloran fifth, and Jake Dixon sixth. Christian Eden, the Riders' Cup winner in seventh, ahead of Ellison, Mossy, and Linfoot, um, who completes the top ten. Um, just a round-up, then, on the uh, lower classes before we move on. Um, and tell you who won the various titles. Keith Farmer, congratulations to him. He won the British Super Sport Championship, a championship that essentially became the uh, who is the best rider now. Tara McKenzie's gone to Moto 2 class. Um, Keith Farmer winning it in the end uh, by 13 points from Andrew Irwin, brother of Glenn. 
um, in the final round of the season. He did his best in the final few rounds to throw it away, Farmer, with uh, some questionable riding, but he did win it in the end. Uh, that is his third national title. He is a former Superstock champion and Superstock 1000 champion. So congratulations to him and the Apple Yard Macadam Yamaha team. Um, Danny Buckham won his second Superstock 1000 title um, after beating Richard Cooper by 10 points. Dan Stamper is the Superstock 600 champion. He dominated that championship, um, beating uh, his nearest rival Gilbert by 40 points. Domination doesn't even come close to covering it for Tom Budemos, who won the British Moto Star Moto 3 title. He won that championship by 72 points, winning 19 races through the season. Um, Max Cook won the uh, British Moto Star Standard Class with 15 wins from this season. Um, he beat his nearest rival, Victor Rodriguez, by 148 points. Joe Collier oh, won the Ducati Tri-Options Cup. Congratulations to him. Fenton Seabright, the splendidly named young rider, won the KTM RC Cup. Um, and he is actually at Hereth this weekend, competing in the KTM RC World Final, um, which is basically the best of all the different uh, KTM riders from around the season. Um, championship going uh, to him, and he could become the World KTM RC winner this weekend and congratulations we saved this one to last because this is a beaten down for tim and tristan reeves who won the hyundai heavy industries sidecars championship they won out of a possible 20 races they won all 20 this season <laughs> well done, congratulations to them a clean sweep of the british sidecars uh, beating their nearest rivals kershaw and clark by 226 points to win the championship congratulations <laughs> to them um, British Superbikes is done for the season before the end of this year when we uh, we go fortnightly once the uh, season is all finished we will uh, review of course the full British Superbike season um, but those are your various champions and of course British Superbikes will return next year um, on the first weekend of April at Donington Park on Easter weekend Right then, to Japan now for MotoGP. And uh, although MotoGP gets the uh, mid-card billing with the BSB taking the main event slot this weekend, um, MotoGP had another stunning weekend out in Japan. Bit of a landmark weekend. And then it's the first Grand Prix weekend that I can remember and that anyone can remember which didn't have a single dry session all weekend. It rained from start to finish um, at Mategi last weekend. Um, and wet races don't tend to match dry races for excitement. Um, it has to be said because it spaces the field out a little bit. But this one was an exception, Dre. Uh, because Andrea Vizioso and Mark Marquez went to war once again. And Julian Ryder described this as the best final lap he had ever seen in the wet. And I'm struggling to disagree with him. That was a magnificent Grand Prix. How does this season keep doing this? Yeah. Where it just keeps finding ways of producing more unbelievable racing. And... This was yeah. This was Marquez versus Dovi two, like downpour edition. It was unbelievable. Again, with half a lap to go, you think that race is over. Marquez makes a small error, which, by the way, in those conditions, any other rider crashes in that scenario easily. But he's Mark Marquez, so he finds a way to keep it going. Only loses a handful of attempts, but I have to say, one of the passes of the year from Dovi down the back of the hill. 
um, towards sector four. The bravery of the man on the brakes is unlike anything I've ever seen. So, so basically win the race. Marquez tries to throw the house in it on the final corner because that's what Marquez does. Once again, Dovi was ready for it. <coughs> Pardon me. Dovi wins a drag race to the line. Like, my words will not do this justice. Like, BT Sport has put the final lap of its race on Twitter. You have no excuse yeah. if you haven't seen this yet. It is a magnificent fight between Marquez and Davizioso. And it just sums up how great they've been this season because those two are, right now, the two best riders on the planet, and it's not even close. Mm. Rain, or, rain or dry, they are doing unbelievable things on these motorcycles right now. It's incredible. Just sensational. And for, for Andrea Davizioso, again, he continues to come up with answers to questions that haven't really been posed to him before. Um, in his in his Grand Prix career, certainly in his MotoGP career, because he has won championships back in the 125 class um, way back when. Um, but Matt Marquez had... Um, qualified on the front row in what was, as you'd expect, a rain-affected qualifying session because every session was rain-affected. Um, Joan Zarco putting it on the pole. Um, and Andrea de Vizioso had to come from row three on the grid. Um, yet, yeah, just a, a brilliant race. And you kind of got the feeling midway through that race when it became Marquez versus Dovi once Petrucci's early, um, early burst was kind of um, snuffed out and he dropped back to third. You did get the impression that Davizioso was just managing it. You just got the, because of what he's done so far this season. There's no reason to think that Dobby just had this calculated that he was just sitting there behind Marquez, and he was able to do these times at will and just strike when he had to. He did indeed. He, again, Dobby's always been a ridiculously great lot, late, like late breaker, and that's probably what did it for him on this one. He knew what was coming. He knew exactly what the right moment was. He, he, like, he was probably hoping for a Marquez mistake. The, the racing gods answered his prayers. Again, gave him just enough of a window to maybe try something, and he got it. It was incredible. Like, Dovi has got such a rider's brain on him that he just finds these ways of, of, of outsmarting people and getting the job done. And he's, he's been fantastic for that. And again, he's done it again here. It's the sixth race he's won this season, I think, right? Sixth race he's won this season. Sixth race, sixth race in the last 12 months, if you go back to um, Malaysia last year, where this 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 <laughs> incredible run of results kind of started um, for Dovi, where he just seemed to... And I think this is it. Julian uh, uh, Reiner mentioned this. It's the belief that Dovi has now. I mean, he, you could argue he's always had this talent, but he's never really necessarily believed that he can beat these guys. Um, but he, he certainly does now, and... Not many riders can say this, that they have this kind of record against Marc Marquez, where for the second time this year, as you mentioned, Marc Marquez tried it on at the final corner, and Dovi was incredibly, in those conditions, at that level of competition, at that stage of a race, Dovi still had that mental capacity to be one step ahead of him. Absolutely. Um, it's, 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 it's insane. It is absolutely insane. And... Like, no one else has had this track record against Marquez in dogfights. Like, seriously. And a year it's... ago, none of us would have even considered Dovi a dogfighter. No, not in the slightest, because he's never really been up the front all that often in his MotoGP yeah, he, career. He's the really. guy that we were used to seeing getting beaten into second place in Qatar every year. Exactly. Um, that's, that's how terrible it is. And, yeah, it's, again, like, Dovi has just taken this season by the scruff of the neck and was ran with it pretty much all season long. And even if it, even if this doesn't result in a championship for him, what a season he's had. Well, again, 
Like, if there was a Comeback Rider of the Year award, Andrea De Vizioso would have had it on lock sometime around the Saxon ring, basically. Yeah. Um, he's been unbelievable this year. And again, he has finally had the season where he's shown his full potential throughout an entire season. And again, just, just the skill study. He, he, he gives you something different compared to Rossi, to Vinales, to Pedrosa, to Lorenzo. Uh, again, a real rider's brain, and we haven't seen that before. And this is someone who's just so well-rounded, um, again, in, in wet or dry conditions. That's what he's done so well this season. And he might have been Mark, he might easily be Marquez's strongest challenger since since he's since Marquez has got into MotoGP. Who the hell would have thought that four years ago? Mm, and, <laughs> and we may still have in the three races that remain, um, because we're talking, as I say, we're talking a long way into the Philippine weekend, but the race hasn't happened yet. Um, and there is no reason at the moment, given the weather forecast for, for tomorrow, to suggest that the two won't be racing each other on track at some point tomorrow at Phillip Island. It could quite easily happen again tomorrow. Um, and he's got this level of confidence now where you've got to think, if Dobby finds himself battling with Mark Marquez again, and heaven forbid, if it comes down to Valencia and the two are battling on track for the championship, Dobby's going to have this level of confidence and self-belief where he just he's not going to think that Marquez can beat him. Which is a, which is a strong weapon to have. Yeah, that that self belief is a is a very empowering thing at the best of times. So, if like, Dovi has he's beaten Marquez head to head in wet and dry conditions now, yeah, that says a lot. And you know that to carry going through into the last three rounds of the year is big. It's very big indeed. And again, we'll have to wait and see how this goes. Um, but. Having that self belief is is a, is a nice thing to have in your back pocket. Yeah, it is. And um, and another thing that I loved from this weekend at Mitegi, um, kind of following on from the theme of of Brands Hatch, was again the, the respect between the two. I mean, the the controversy and the almost nuclear atmosphere that um, the 2015 championship brought us. I'm not necessarily saying that's a bad thing because it got people talking about MotoGP, the like of which we haven't really seen people talking about it before. Um, but I think there's a lot to be said about a championship like this one where those two knock spots off each other again around Mategi, but yet in part Ferme, the exchange between the two was fantastic. Where almost Davizioso sort of puffs his cheeks out of Marcus and goes, like, what are you doing, man? At the final corner, like, again? Um, and Mark, and Mark Marquez is just kind of laughing, like, you didn't think I was going to do anything else, did you? And, and just, the, just, the, just the exchange between the two, the respect between the two and the admiration between the two is, 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 a, is, a, is an element of this championship that I'm really enjoying. It's refreshing. Like we, we, let's be real. We've had very, we've had many a salty title yes. fight in the last few years with with guys like Valentino. Like, let's be frank here. Like let's call it what it is. They've been salty with each other in the last few years. You've seen some of the bitterness come out in MotoGP over the last couple of years. So to have Marquez, who I think again normally is is quite a jovial sort of guy and he, he doesn't really play mind games and politics with people and Dovizioso who I think is partly just happy to be here quite frankly let, let alone challenging for a title and is, again is a, is a great sportsman as well I just don't think it's he has a, it in him does he? Yeah. No I don't think he has it in him to be mad at people no. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you can see him hugging out at the end of the race and you could tell there is a lot of respect between the two of them at the moment and again that was very nice to see mm, Yeah and uh... Again, Davizioso just keeps coming up with answers when he has to. And the championship lead is 11 points as we stand at the moment. And as I say, he's going to have to probably come up with another answer tomorrow, given what he's qualified in Phillip Island. Um, but with, with a lap to go, 
his championship was hanging by a thread last weekend too, wasn't it? Because if Mark Marquez wins that race, it's a 10-point overtake that he made because it was a 10-point swing the other way. Mark Marquez wins that race from Dovi. It's a 21-point gap with three races to go, which, with the greatest respect, is probably a bit too many for Dovi to expect That's to pull back. The fact, that, the fact that he's warming the vocal cords if it's a 21-point yeah. lead with three... But the very fact that it's yeah. down to 11 means that Dovi still has this well within his reach. <laughs> Absolutely. Still very much in Dovi's hands, and you know it's again just when these when these questions are posed to him of right, Dovi, you've got to do something now. You've got to deliver here. This is your moment to keep your championship hopes alive. Dovi keeps answering the call, um, so we'll see if he does it again this weekend in Phillip Island um, because there's a, a very very key race coming tomorrow. I mean, it's I think you mentioned this, Dre, after after last weekend. This season just keeps getting better and better, and we have arguably the best race of the season coming up tomorrow. Oh yeah. It's only Philip Island, guys. Like, you know, that race never produces exciting races. Ever! Yeah, <laughs> like, oh, cannot this. wait for tomorrow. It's fantastic. And uh, Andre Davizioso is making this happen. As I say, the gap is down to 11 points. Um, and, you know, Mark Marquez, with all due respect, I mean, he, he was beaten on the final lap, but again, another display that just shows what an incredible run of form this guy is on since the summer break. It's another top two result for Mark Marquez and save for the engine blow up um, that he suffered back at Silverstone that's pretty much all he's been dealing with since the summer break eight out of his last nine races on the podium and the only one being an engine failure at Silverstone which never happens in MotoGP but Marquez again has just been practically bulletproof since, 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 since the Saxon ring and like he really should be up by more than eleven points, but it goes to show you what, what a disaster the first half of the season was for him for his standards. Once again, I say, I tell you, if only he hadn't crashed in Argentina, it probably would have comfortably been his by now. Like I think this is the season that's fully established that Mar Marquez really is the best rider on the planet, and Honda has come a long, long way this season to be able to find the improvements that it has made, that it has made this season. And Marquez is doing a phenomenal job right now. He's just not putting a foot wrong at the moment. He's he's he's, he's a bit like compare him to the rider of years ago where he had half a dozen crashes in the season and it all just got away from him at the worst possible time. Look at him now. He's like ironed out one of the very few kinks left yeah. in his game. He has, he has them all in practice now. <laughs> I mean, yeah. what's amazing is uh, if you include the weekend that's currently in progress in Phillip Island, Mark Marquez is now up to 24 crashes for the season. Um, but uh, but they've the majority of them have not been in a race. There's only been a couple in a race um, this season at Le Mans and um, the one that Dre mentioned um, in Argentina. Um, but one landmark that we have to mention whilst talking about Mark Marquez before we move on is... The achievement last weekend, of course, he would have wanted to have done it with a win rather than with a second. But Dre, that is Mark Marquez's 100th Grand Prix podium, and he's still only 24. <laughs> he's only been a full time rider since 2008. Yeah. What is this? This is ridiculous. I mean, okay, like. The amount of podiums Marquez has had in a season one, one, his first two in, in one, two, fives. He joined Red Bull IO in 2010, 12, 11, 14, MotoGP debut, 16 podiums in his first year in the top class, 14, 9, 12, and 10 out of out of 15 so far this season. It's it's unbelievable. 100 podiums in 165 Grand Prix races. That is 
out of this world. That is unbelievable. That is, I, I, I don't even know how to describe that. That is just utterly ridiculous. I think that's something like a sixty percent like podium rate. Yeah. Like that is that's unbelievable. <laughs> he he's just basically rewriting every record book you can think of right now. It's it's unbelievable. Yeah, it is. And um, yeah, by the time he uh, he's done with MotoGP, which we hope he's got me for a good decade or so, yeah. Um, he's probably going to have every record in the book um, on the, with his name right at the top of it. He's, he's an extraordinary rider, Mark Marquez, um, which <laughs> illustrates just why the key factories, in particular Honda and KTM, are so keen to sign him um, for 2019 because um, that's probably going to be one of the stories of next season where Mark Marquez's future lies um, beyond next year. Um, in terms of the championship, we've spoken a lot about Davizioso and Marquez, and um, does last season or last weekend's race, Dre, just illustrate how it's pretty much those two and those two only now, um, given that it was another wet race where Maverick Vinales and Yamaha just didn't really turn up. No, um, Rossi obviously falling early on, and Vinales has struggled in the rain all year long, pretty much, and like just wasn't competitive, limped to ninth place this time around. So yeah, Maverick just wasn't there this time around, and. Mavericks now forty-one points off the off the top of the championship with just three races to go. I think that's just about all she wrote for Yamaha this season. Um, and again, the post mortem is not going to be pretty on this one because Valentino Rossi is currently fifth overall right now. He's behind Danny Pedrosa in the championship now. Mm. He's only about thirty odd points ahead of Johan Zarco, which is crazy i mean again i think that's a lot more down to how zarko how brilliant he's been as a rookie this year rossi missing um, too. rossi missing a race but i mean maverick who they went all in on this year like i i, I like let's not forget just how ridiculous maverick vinales looked at the start of this season like, he was terrifying about how good he looked at the start he won the first two races looked ready to go in testing he, he almost took pole position at marquez's basic home round at cota and was looking super strong in there but again mavericks had he, he won his third race of the season at le mans has not won in 10 races since yeah um it's 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 all just seemed to fall away from Maverick. It always feels it's like a different not- season, doesn't it? When when Maverick was dominating yeah. like that. I mean, the Yamahas were. It looked like it was going to be a Yamaha championship when we saw Vinales and Rossi battling for the win uh, at Le Mans. Because um, of course Rossi yeah. led the championship going into that race, and Maverick had won two of the four races that had preceded that. Um, it's extraordinary. Yeah. And what amazes me really is if you look at the the different bikes up the front of MotoGP now, and this was a topic of conversation during qualifying today, is that. Previously, you would have looked at the Yamaha bike and said that that's the all-rounder. That's the easiest bike to set up and the easiest bike to get the best out of in MotoGP. And the, the right. Ducati is the sort of the unpredictable one. But now the Ducati is the all-rounder. Even when it's a year old, two years old, the Ducati just seems to work at any circuit you put it on. And the Yamaha seems to be the hardest bike to set up and get the best out of. The Yamaha just seems so peaky now. It is very peaky. And it, again, it doesn't really add up on this one where... Yeah, I said the post mortem is not going to be pretty because it, it just doesn't make any sense, Lewis. It's like it's they 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 have had the all round consistent package for the last two or three seasons now, where they can go just about anywhere and win. And like their rain game has not been stronger than the one Valentino Rossi wet win at Assen, um, where race where Vinales crashed. Besides that, they've been poor in the wet this year. They've not been consistent. Ducati is. 
has found that level of consistency again, where Dovi can challenge to win almost anywhere now, regardless of weather conditions. And Honda has greatly improved their, their crippling acceleration problem. So Yamaha, like this might be an even worse post-mortem than last year when Lorenzo and Rossi were beating each other up. Like, the question is, what's happened to Yamaha the last 10 or 12 rounds where they've not looked competitive at all? Yeah, it's, at least it's... last year, as you could explain away, with you know, look, the teams and the riders made key mistakes um, through the yeah. season. But this one, I mean, the post-mortem, I think it has to go right the way back to the root of design of this bike because the something like the team still doesn't even know. I mean, Massimo Marigali was interviewed on BT on Friday during the, the lunch break, and he... He was asked, you know, what do you think the problem is with this bike? And they they don't know. They, they genuinely don't yeah. know what the problem is. So how on earth do you go about trying to fix it for next year's bike? If you, if you don't yeah, know what the problem it's, is. It's, it's been the story of this season where they've been fighting between the 2017 chassis, the 2016 chassis. They've been chasing their own trying... tails right from the start of the season. And, and yeah. yeah, I mean, the, the Assen win. Um, as I say, that's the only race win that they've got this season with any kind of rain involved. And that wasn't so much a, a wet win as much as it was a Rossi Assen win. Um, it was Rossi just being yeah. so good around there because they nearly lost to Petrucci that day, um, given how well he yeah. went. Um, and, and yeah, Yamaha, it just seems to be such a, a difficult bike. To, it needs such a specific window in terms of weather and temperature and grip for that bike to work. Um, otherwise, it, it struggles for grip. It chews its tyres and, and struggles towards the end of a race. And, and Maverick Vinal is finishing down in ninth last weekend, um, which has left him a long, long way back in the championship, over 40 points back now with just three races to go. Um, so he's essentially um, out of it unless he wins this weekend and um, his nearest rivals both fall off. Um, he needs that kind of swing to bring himself back into contention now. Um, he's so far back. Um in terms of the other riders, though, who had good weekends at Mategi, Danilo Petrucci is another one, which we're pretty much becoming accustomed to now in wet conditions. If it's a wet race, Davizioso, Marcus, and Petrucci are the three comfortably best riders in the field in those conditions, aren't they? Yeah, definitely. Those are like it's it, like it goes to show you that it's just not been the first time that they've been like this. Where again, like those three guys have been in, involved in almost every wet race this season in some capacity. I mean, even in Aston, where. Rossi won. It was Petrucci that was right there challenging for the win in second, and right behind them was Marquez and Dovi in the fight for third alongside Cal Crocciolo. Mm. Um, again, mm. Masano, it was those three again. Dovi didn't quite have the pace to match up with Petrucci at the end of that race, but it was those three at the front. And in Mategi, same deal. Those two, again, slightly breaking off Petrucci this time, but it's those three at the front. Those three are the best remember riders in the game now, and who the hell would have thought Marquez? Oh, yeah, he's really good at wet races now, too, for God's yeah. sake. He's, he's a cheap Stop him. He's too good. Yeah, where yeah. is his weakness? Um, we're, there isn't we're struggling one. to find yeah. one, aren't we, at the moment? Um, a team that's had plenty of weaknesses this season, the Suzuki, they've had a pretty poor season, um, certainly compared to the heights of last year. Um, but a tremendous weekend at Mategi Drake, fourth and fifth for them, um, as they debuted their new mustachio fairing. Um, yes. which um, a month early in November's um, not for ne not until next month yet but they brought it in early um, and it seems to have transformed Andre Inone's fortunes well, it seems that when this guy's head is in the right place and he believes in the bike underneath him Andre Inone is a completely different animal he is like like, like that, that swing arm has found something for Suzuki they're getting up there now the fairing's working out and all of a sudden Suzuki's competitive again 
um, their best result of the season with, uh, I mean, you know, only fourth and Rins. Again, a stunning fifth yeah. from Alex Rins. We don't talk about that one anywhere near enough. We, we expected this from me only, but Rins to finish in the top five in his rookie season. Superb yeah, I mean, stuff. It deserves a mention. Uh, it deserves a mention. I mean, we, we shouldn't underplay. I mean, we mentioned it before on the show, but we shouldn't ignore the the build-up and the, the disrupted season that Rins has had. Because, of course, he had the injury back at um, the Circuit of the Americas, which took basically a third of his season away. Um, but we shouldn't forget, of course, that Rins injured himself in pre-season as well, so he barely got any testing in ahead of the season. This guy is a good four or five races, would you say, behind what a traditional rookie would be. Take Zarco, Folger, for instance, and um, those kind of guys at Tech 3. Alex Rins is a good four or five races behind in his just learning of this class, and he's already up in fifth place on a Suzuki, and you know this guy is he's showing really the rider that we all believed he would be given that uh, given a clear run with with no injuries and full fitness this guy's showing us what he's all about in MotoGP he's a beast like, I, 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 this, this is great stuff from Alex Rins and again like the, the races where he has had you know not, no shenanigans happen where he's had been, you know, been able to again he, he looks like he belongs here and that's Again, that is as big a statement as you can make about him. He's doing a tremendous job right yeah, now. Just look at the guys he finished ahead of in fifth place. He finished ahead of Jorge Lorenzo in sixth on the Ducati. Um, and another curious race um, for Jorge Lorenzo. We've seen this a few times, haven't we, Dre, this season, where he started well and led the race, plummeted down the order, and then come on strong towards the end of the race and finished in sixth. I mean, the first thing that annoyed Lorenzo during the race was the, uh, the move on him by Sean Zarco, where Zarco basically ran him up onto the curbs, which um, you wouldn't really appreciate having done to you in wet conditions, given how slippery those curbs are, um, leading Lorenzo to basically say to Zarco, this isn't the PlayStation, um, after his overtake on him. Oh, yeah. um, so uh, that's another world champion that Zarco has um, annoyed this year. Um but, that's, that's how you know he belongs. He's pissing off the top class runners. That's always the way, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> but, but yeah, as I say, another curious race for Lorenzo where he seemed to just go missing for the uh, the middle portion of the Grand Prix. Yeah. Uh, just and another chapter in the curious case of Jorge Lorenzo in a, on a Ducati where Misano, like he was going to win that race at a canter. And this time around in the wet, nowhere near on the level of his teammate. Very bizarre. Um... Maybe he was uh, a little bit rattled um, by, you know, by by Zarco's early move that you know may have may have hurt his confidence a little bit. I don't know because we know Lorenzo's like he's very much a rider based in confidence. If the confidence isn't there, he's going to struggle. I don't know what it was with Lorenzo this time round, but uh, this could be a problem for them going forward because Lorenzo's not just not performed in the wet this year, and that's something that Ducati has hung their hat on for years is that wet weather performance. Yeah, and Lorenzo's just not delivered in that department this year, and that's been a real shame. In other words, thank God Dovi's been as good as he has. Otherwise, the, the, the Ducati season review would be a little bit barren mm. to say the same. Yeah, yeah, and he had a he had a horrendous crash in free practice today in Australia as well, which um, left him with a sprained ankle. So his uh, his weekend in Australia this weekend um, hasn't gone much better either. So um, you might not hear him mentioned too much in next week's show either, um, given how his weekend has gone uh, so far. Um, Alex Spargo next up in seventh place on the Aprilia, and it, it's a measure of uh, how high the aspirations and the uh, expectations are for this rider within this team now, Dre. That Alex Spargo was disappointed with seventh. Huh? <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, I, like, let me get this straight, Elise. You're disappointed with seventh? Like, have you seen your season? Yeah. Um, no, but it says it all. Again, they're prettier, thinking bigger. And I can't blame them with Elise riding as well as he has this year. 
another great performance from Elise on the Aprilia. We know that their factory has lofty expectations and it's almost getting to the point where it's like you can't blame them anymore because, again, like they are challenging for top six finishes on a semi-regular basis now. They're doing a really, really solid job with that. And, again, you can't really ask for much more than that. He started fourth on the grid as well, which I think was a source of some <laughs> of that disappointment that he'd kind of gone backwards from his grid position. Um, yeah. but, um, but the same goes for the pole man, Joan Zarco, who um, finished in, well, eighth position in the end in the race, which is funny because... Th- it was another thing that was mentioned on BT this weekend of, oh, Joan Zarco, he's kind of gone he's gone backwards or he's been a bit quiet the last few races. But by any rookie standards, those would have been solid results um, for Joan Zarco in the last few races. Um, but because he started the season so well, we look at eighth as a kind of a, a sort of so-and-so result. Um, but the guy put it on pole position from nowhere on the Saturday. Um, right, and right. it's another weekend again where Zarco, who was practically going it alone for Tech 3, um, just really because they did things that as a rookie, we shouldn't be underplaying. Yeah, it's it, it's an X-factor. He's an X-factor sort of guy. It's it's unbelievable what he's doing right now. And again, he, he's, he's having such a brilliant rookie season that eighth does seem mediocre, even if it doesn't necessarily deserve to look like that. It's it's incredible. He's having an incredible season. Um, and again, let's not... Let's not gloss this over uh, with, with Zarko. We've got to be very careful about this because this is a guy who, yes, is a rookie, but yes, he's sixth in the championship ahead of a factory Ducati and Jorge Lorenzo mm. by nine points. And as fin- uh, ever since the crash in, in Qatar, has finished every round of the championship since yeah. in the points. It, like, he's doing a fantastic job on that motorcycle. And again, the X factor of him, again, he's a great wet weather rider. Again, he qualified on pole position for the second time this season. Like, can we please stop glossing over Johan Zarco? He's doing an outstanding job. Yeah, brilliant job. I know the team that are doing a brilliant job this season, just finally before we move on to Moto2, uh, a KTM. And um, once again, Dre, and this is no longer becoming a surprise, KTM's in Q2. Um Oh, yeah. Both bikes making it to Q2 this weekend, which is a measure not only of how well Paul's doing, but the fact that Bradley Smith's improved in the last few races once his contract was sorted out for next year. Um, he and Paul were first and second in Q1 last weekend, which meant that Maverick Vinales was knocked out of Q1. Um, so it was not exactly like they were beating low-hanging fruit there. They were beating um, one of the championship contenders to get themselves into Q2. Um, and their best ever qualifying result equaled by Bradley Smith, spoiler alert, until today. Um, when they bettered it, um, but um, you, you had to do but, uh, it. Well, yeah, when Paul qualified sixth, incidentally, today in Australia. They were seventh on the grid with Bradley last weekend um, in, in uh, Mategi, and um, this team is just legitimately top ten material now, regularly, isn't it? Yeah, it's not a fluke anymore. They are now in the top ten on a regular basis. Bradley again has been outstanding since the contract's been tied up. Hmm, maybe they're onto something good just by you know signing them up for another year. He, he, he's been brilliant uh, since since that point in time. And KTM, again, their progress has been astonishingly good. Um, the last three or four rounds, they just seem to be getting better and better um, round by round. It's 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 unbelievable. Um, so yeah, like there's nothing we can say about it. Like this is this is this is this is no crazy stuff. It's 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 crazy that uh, KTM are doing so well and. Gosh, like imagine next season if you can start putting together some real strong results in yeah, there. Yeah, uh, a season of data to go on um, from from their bikes. So yeah, they're they're only going to go forward from here, you'd think. And yeah, let's say today in Australia they qualified uh, sixth and ninth for KTM's um, with with Paul and Bradley. 
um, which is which is a, a, a sensational result. And it it wasn't even a surprise. Like I say, they were quick right throughout the free practice sessions yesterday and today as well. Um, it had been on the cards that um, you know even when Bradley was forced to go via Q1, him and he just came through it with relative ease and knocked Jorge Lorenzo out along the way. So yeah, this team is genuinely making progress now, um, which is great to see. In fact, uh, in free practice four in Australia this weekend, for the first time I think ever in MotoGP, a practice session ended with six different manufacturers in the top six, um, which is um, a hat off to Dorna for the job they've done in making MotoGP as competitive uh, as it is. Um, here's how the race finished then in Mategi. Andrea Davizioso, the brilliant winner from Mark Marquez by a quarter of a second, with Petrucci in third. Then came the Suzuki's of Unoni and Rins, fourth and fifth. Lorenzo uh, in sixth, ahead of Alessio Spargo, seventh. Joan Zarco, eighth. Maverick Vinales only ninth. And Loris Baz, shout out for him, in the top ten, ahead of Paul Spargaro, Katz Nakasuga, um, the perennial Yamaha test rider, who uh, always wildcards at um, Mategi. He was twelfth. Ahead of Sam Woes, who got points in thirteenth. Hector Barbara and Tito Rabat, who completed the points in 15th position. Mark Marquez's championship lead at the moment is 11 points over Davizioso, um, with Maverick Vinales 41 points back in third. Um, just about in contention, but really mathematically and no, nothing else. Uh, Danny Pedrosa and Valentino Rossi remain fourth and fifth because neither scored last weekend. Danny Pedrosa pulled in midway through the race. His tyres had gone. Um, Zarco is sixth, ahead of Lorenzo in seventh. Um, Daniela Petrucci, eighth. Cal Crutchlow, ninth. He crashed last weekend. Um, and Jonas Volga, who remains ill and we probably won't see again this season, he is still in the top 10 at the moment on 84 points. Um, now on to Moto2. And before we talk about Moto2 uh, and the race at Mategi, we have to talk about the race at Mizano because uh, um, a key piece of news broke during the course of the um, Mategi race weekend. Um, surrounding Dominic Egata, the winner of the San Marino Grand Prix. Um, and a guy who Dre, we have the utmost sympathy for um, because it was his first win his oh. first win for a number of years um, but because of an illegal oil sample it now isn't his first win for a number of years and he still only has the one career victory what do you mean I no longer get to celebrate the first Swiss 1-2 in Grand Prix history yeah. damn it um, oh, my heart goes out to Dominique Agata that was not his fault at all and it's the second time in recent years where a Moto2 team has basically been caught cheating I get why it happened. I mean, Moto2 guys are, you know, given it's basically a spec series, they will look for anything, any sort of advantage they can, they can, they can, they can muster to try and get one over on the opposition. Um, I mean, we saw, I mean, I mean, Greg Haynes made a great point about this on Twitter the other day, talking about some of the World Super Sport teams were freaking shaving the paint off their rims. Yeah, Mika, Mika Just, Perez was disqualified from a Super Sport 300 race earlier this season because he had no paint on his wheels, which is illegal, to try and save yeah, the extra gram. Like, Save an extra few grams by sh by by shaving the paint off the off, off the wheels. I mean that's that's unbelievable, and that this is this is the nature of bike racing. And Kiefer have been very naughty boys on this one, and basically ran with it with a, an unspec oil sample. Which is wh why would you ever not run a spec oil? I do not understand this. It's it's it, it's hairbrain. It's stupid, and it's cost them that it's, it's cost them their one win for the year. And it's a real shame because Agatha was exceptional at Masano, one of the rides of the year, and he was absolutely—it's it's been robbed from him completely. That's a real shame. Yeah, I mean, you can you can understand it in a in a class where, I mean, today in qualifying in, in Phillip Island, the top fourteen were covered by a second. Um, so you can understand how within that one second, those fourteen riders are all looking to try and find that extra hundredth of a second, which could mean um, a row or two on the grid. Um, but the, the the thinking is with 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 Suter and with Agata and with the Kiefer team is that 
Um, they, like other teams, have sponsorship or endorsement deals with oil manufacturers. I mean, I know Mark um, PDS have one with Elf. Um, and obviously various other teams have their own sponsorship deals. But of course, there is a spec oil supplier in, in Moto2. Um, but when teams go private testing, for instance, those rules don't apply. Um, so so right. the, the thinking is that <laughs> Kiefer have gone testing somewhere and used a different spec of, of oil um, for this preseason test. And then by the time they've turned up to race at Mizano, um, they've changed it all back to the spec oil, but there have been remnants and um, you know some remains of the previous oil in the sample, in the tank, which, of course, has then come through on the... Uh, the, the sample that's been assessed after qualifying after the race, which deems it illegal, um, and as a result, they've been thrown out. It's an extraordinary risk to take just because you've got a sponsorship, a sponsorship deal that dictates that you run this oil in testing. Um, you know, it, it's cost this team their only win in the last number of years in, in Grand Prix in Moto2. Um, and as a result, the, uh, K, the Calix monopoly is back intact. They have won every race again this year. Um, and more crucially, Dre, for the championship, the race win was handed to Thomas Luti. Um, who had only won once this season. He's now won twice. Um, and, of course, that was a race that Franco Morbidelli had crashed out of, so he doesn't gain any points from this. Thomas Lutti, by doing very little, suddenly moves five points closer. Yeah, like it's five extra points for Thomas Lutti. It's... it's, it's <laughs> he's, he's, he's a very jammy sword, I have to say, Thomas, on that one, but he will gladly take those five points and run with it. Um... So I think it's turned into a 19-point championship lead now for Luti rather than 24. So, uh, well, 22 it was technically because it was it's technically five extra points. But yeah, it's 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 all sorts of funny numbers on this. But yeah, Thomas Luti, he um, he'll take it. Of course, he'll absolutely take it. Um, given that you know Domi, Domi had an illegal bike, tech mile by all measure of the rules and. It's made it a little bit more interesting for Luti, and this should be a very interesting weekend. Around that because Luti is still, I think, as consistent as anyone in Moto Two, but he's running out of rounds now rapidly, and he went well here last year. So that, yeah, he, so this could be one last year in, uh, in Moto Two. Uh, but yeah, they they started the weekend um, with a twenty-one point gap from Morbidelli to Luti. It was then increased to twenty-four. Um, with Morbidelli finishing 8th and Luti 11th. That's about as much as we're going to say about their two races because both of them had shite races. It has to be said in the wet conditions. Yeah. Um, but then the news of Egeta's disqualification from Bizano came after the race in Mategi. Um, so Luti, despite finishing three spots behind Morbidelli, actually ends the weekend closer in the points than he was at the start of it um, because he, he gained yeah. five points from a uh, retrospective disqualification um, for another rider earlier in the season. Um, as far as the race itself goes and the winner of it, um, I think a race winner that we're all happy for, Dre, um, for Alex Marquez, who um, had to pull out, let's not forget, he had to pull out of the Aragon race three weeks prior because he basically couldn't feel his hip and his leg halfway through the Grand Prix. Oh. Um, I think we're all delighted for him, aren't we, for him to bounce back the very next Grand Prix in wet conditions at Mategi and win it. Absolutely. Um, again, he was he was in us. He was in so much pain um, during during that Aragon race, and to come back and win is a, a testament to Marquez's grit. That was a very very well written race indeed. I'm very happy for him. He he deserved that one. That was a 
that was difficult for him, I can only imagine. But uh, a, a dominant performance out there in the wet again. Marquez has really good, seemed, seemed to found his feet again in the class, and that's good to see for everybody. Yeah, he, had to, uh, he had to work hard for this one. He was chasing the home favourites, Kanki Nakagami, for the first two-thirds of that race. Um, and it, it looked to me, Dre, because Siren was coming on really strong midway through that race. He was just overtaking people left and right. It was almost as if Marquez saw the threat coming. Um, he thought, I'm going to have to get going here before Siren catches us all up. Um, and beats us all, and um, yeah, tremendous win for Alex Marquez, and a tremendous result for the guy in second, Xavi Vieje for Tech 3, um, which um, is a landmark result, because Tech 3's are never on the podium in Moto2, um, then in fact they haven't been since Mugello 2011, um, when, Bradley, when Bradley Smith finished third in that Grand Prix, that's how long ago it was, that was Bradley Smith's rookie year in Moto2, um, the last oh, time Tech 3 were on a rostrum uh, in this class, um, and it was fully deserved, wasn't it? Because Vieke was up the front in qualifying and then fully deserved his result in the race, holding off um, a wet weather specialist in Siren to finish second. Absolutely. Um, like, again, we, we talk about 2016 Rookie of the Year, Xavier Vieke, and he's, he's had moments where he's looked really, really good out there. And I'm glad he's had you know his first you know two podium to take home as well because, again, he's another really solid rider who might not necessarily be on the best bike. Um, so yeah, I'm really happy for him to get to get to, to get that first podium in Moto Two. Yeah. Um, so yeah, really, really strong stuff indeed. Yeah, strong weekend uh, for Vieira, who of course is uh, on the move to Dynavolt for next season um, in Moto Two. So he'll be on a suitor this time uh, next year. Um, of course, suitor who now haven't won a race since returning, although they thought they had a month ago. Um, the podium completed by Hafish Sirin, who. Uh, Another brilliant performance in the wet. Not quite the emotion, Dre, of his result in Mazzana, which, of course, has now been upgraded to a second place, um, uh, <laughs> yeah. as opposed to a third. Um, but with Sepang right around the corner, this is a good time for Siren to start racking up the, re- the results and the podiums. Hey, man, got to get the, got to get those contract bonuses in, right? You know, um, yeah, got a pair of really solid Siren in the wet this year. Um, he's always been a bit of a wet of a specialist, but but yeah, another great performance from him on this one. Again, as you said, maybe not quite the same level of emotion, but he's now at two second places in his last three races. Really good stuff. Yeah, cracking, <laughs> cracking result for uh, for uh, Hafiz Siren. Um, yeah, it's not like he's going to need to sell any more tickets because uh, Sepang is already sold out um, for next weekend um, for the Malaysian Grand Prix. Um, but yeah, an outstanding run for for Siren, <laughs> who's, uh, who's yeah looking like he's going to be the uh, the subject of a lot of support this time next weekend, and he'll be looking. I think he'll be hoping for more rain next weekend, won't he? So he can uh, produce another result uh, akin to this one. Um, the race result then, as it finished, because as I say, the championship contenders had very forgettable races. Marquez, the winner from Vieje and Sirin. Peko Banyaya, uh, another rookie who deserves a mention, and we shouldn't gloss over his results. He continues to impress. Fourth for him, which has now secured him the Rookie of the Year prize um, in Moto2 oh, yes. um, for this season. Banyaya, so congratulations to him. Matai Pizzini, fifth. Ahead of the Poleman Nakagami, sixth. Miguel Oliveira for KTM, seventh. Morbidelli, eighth. He beat Agata on the final lap, who finished ninth. And Lorenzo Baldessari in tenth, one place ahead of Thomas Luti. Championship standings, as I mentioned, are now led by Morbidelli, but the lead is down to 19 points um, as a result of uh, Luti inheriting a second win of the season. 
um, with the disqualification of Vegas early on in the season. Alex Marquez is now up to third in the championship. He's leapfrogged Oliveira into third as a result of his third win of the year. Um, Marquez is on 180 points, 14 ahead of Oliveira. Bagnaia is fifth in the championship, although, as I say, he has confirmed himself as the top rookie for the season. He leads Matteo Pessini for fifth in, in the championship by 11 points. Uh, Nakagami is seventh. Simone Corsi, eighth. Siren, ninth. And Chavi Vierke, tenth. And Dominic Egerter, who was up as high as seventh or eighth in the championship before he had those 25 points ripped from him, is now all the way back down in 11th again in the world championship. Uh. As a result of that, he's gone from 99 points back to 74. Poor guy. Right then, Moto3 uh, up next um, before we move on to the news. And yeah, Moto3, for, for, first of all, for context, Moto3's race was shortened to 13 laps. And that was because Andrea Migno um, made himself public enemy number one by um, heading out onto track in morning warm-up with oil dropping from his bike. The bike then blew up around turn five. He looked down at his bike, saw oil trailing from it, and decided to keep on going. Um, which meant that ha- which meant uh, that half the paddock was um, eyeing up the Sky VR46 pit, ready to chin Andrea Migno um, on Sunday morning last weekend. And the poor guy, fair, fair play to him, he was interviewed on the World Feed during the two-hour delay um, by Dylan Gray. And he, <laughs> the number of times he kept going, "Oh, I'm, I'm really sorry, I'm really sorry." He, like he kept apologising, like he knew he he knew he'd screwed up um, <laughs> because he basically. He delayed the whole day's schedule by two hours and meant that his own class only got a 13-lap race, which was two-thirds of the original distance. Um, for, for, uh, Thanks for yeah. nothing. Thanks a bunch, Andrea. Uh, and as a result, because it was a wet race anyway, the Moto3 race pretty much sucked, um, as they tend to yeah. in wet conditions. Um, Andrea Migno, um, by virtue of karma, only got three points for his troubles. He finished down in 13th, um, <laughs> right behind his teammate, Nicola Bulliger, who'd started on the pole but fell back to 12th. Um, the all right result, though, it still went Italian because um, we had an all Italian rostrum. But it just seems at the moment, Dre, in Moto3, um, and it won't be very much longer because he's off to Moto2 at the end of the season. But in Moto3, wet races, Romano Fanati just appears to be the go to guy. All those outside all those outside lines have finally come back to, you know, get, get, get something good for Romano the way the season's played out. But yeah, he is becoming the wet weather guy in, in, in Moto3, and that's. No, not if it's all to hang out on because it's almost like guaranteed wins given how much it spreads the field out in Moto3. Unlike, you know, the dry races where you often get 12 to 15 guys in the leading group. Not in the wet, but Fanati has got an extra gear in him uh, in, 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 in wet conditions. And, hey, that's valuable to have. It's a it's a nice little extra um, tool in the arsenal for him. And, yeah, another brilliant, dominant, wet win for Romano Fanati. Yeah, he seems a happier rider this year. Cause he, he, I saw him interviewed um, earlier today, and he, he just seems a happier guy. And he, he said himself, and it doesn't get mentioned a lot, because, as I say, I've said this before, he comes in for criticism earlier than I think any other rider in that paddock. Um, based on yes. what he's done in the past, but he said himself, "This is the best season of my career um, because of you know he's he's won three Grand Prix now this season. He's second in the championship, probably going to finish second in the championship um, behind yep. Joan Mir, who we'll come on to in a second. Um, and he said something that was really interesting when he said, "I feel like I'm in a real family with this team, the Marinelli Rubicold Snipers team." And what was interesting was the comment that followed, where he said, "Not a media family." i.e. a family for the cameras, um, which was a very direct jab at his former Sky VR46 team, um, which he clearly doesn't feel was much of a family. So, um, yeah, he's clearly just a rider who this season just feels happy within his surroundings, um, where perhaps he hasn't before, and he's delivering the results. He's uh, he's second in the championship, and because of what happened last weekend, he's not out of it yet, because 
Heading into last weekend, we thought this was going to be the one where Joan Mir wrapped up the championship. A win or a second would have done the trick. Um, but I'm still waiting for the real Joan Mir to turn up to Mategi because I never saw him, Dre. Um, he, he he was on holiday for the weekend. He, he, was, he was going to check out some of the Japanese culture and come back for Philip Island where it's nice and sunny and win it there. He can, he can just he can just spend the honeymoon off there in uh in, in Australia, which is it's quite nice this time of year. Ask Rebecca James. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's 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 a weird one for me because like this is the first weekend all year. Joanne Mir has, has like finished the race outside of the top ten. He didn't even score a point. He finished in seventeenth place, twenty-three seconds off the win. Um, a bizarre one. This I, I I don't quite know how to best describe this because Mir just was nowhere this yeah. weekend. Mir just didn't have the confidence he normally has because this weekend he was just poor. Yeah, it wasn't like yeah, no it wasn't way. like it was a dodgy race. He didn't have any speed at any stage of any session. Right, and no point did he look competitive. He was always looking like a midfield runner this this weekend, and that's exactly what he was this time round. So yeah, very bizarre. Weekend from Mir on this one. Um, stunned that uh, like, you know, he's chosen all times now to be, you know, disappointing uh, more than anything else. So yeah, very bizarre weekend. Joe Mir did not know, did not show up. He looks a bit better this weekend. I think he'll be all right. Yeah, yeah, he's, uh, <laughs> he's up on the front row of the grid for this weekend, so we, we might get that championship wrapped up this weekend. I had to say, one of the most entertaining things of the qualifying session today in Moto Three. Uh, was Romano Fonati, who um, continues to play up to his role as the pantomime villain of Moto3, seems to take it upon himself to make his entire session a personal crusade just to piss off Joanne Mir at qualified today, <laughs> which was brilliant because they, they went out together um, for their first runs um, and you know there was no slow riding going involved. They literally just left the grid to the field together and just stayed together. But Romano Fonati was swarming all over the back of Joanne Mir on a qualifying lap like they were racing. Um, and and Ron, Joanne Mir must have been looking over his shoulder, thinking, "What is this guy doing? Um, like, is he just trying to?" Is he, like, and they were going quickly; they were doing like fastest sectors while they were doing it. But Fernandez just looked like he was just trying to piss Joanne Mir off, um, which was hilarious. Thinking, "Right, if I'm going to win this championship, I've got to just annoy this guy into a mistake that hurts him." Um, like that's the only way that uh, Fernandez is going to still win this. Um, but but yeah, it was bizarre last weekend. How it was almost like the conditions just spooked Joanne Mir. Like he just he went into Danny Kent mode. How he just... Which is weird because he finished second at Masano earlier this year in similar conditions. Yeah, um, he's looked good in wet conditions this season. I mean, I'm trying to. Think, I'm sure there was another race in the wet this season, wasn't there? That I'm thinking of was was Saxon Ring wet, um, where where John where <laughs> Mia beat Fanati. I know it was. I think it was dry in that one, but uh, it was dry. But, I but I've not thought of John Mia at any stage this season, thinking, well, this guy's susceptible in the wet. Um, he, he's gone well in any condition. Um, so yeah, it's it was a strange one. Like I say, he didn't have the speed at any stage of the weekend um, to suggest that he was going to win the championship last weekend. He, he qualified 14th. That became 20th because of the uh, much-talked-about grid penalty from Aragon where he was slaloming down the back straight. Um, and started 20th and was pretty much 20th all through the race until a few guys dropped out late in the race and promoted him up to 17th. Um, which meant no points. Um, so his championship lead has gone from 80 to 55, uh, with three races still to go. The um, criteria is still the same for him. A win or a second this weekend wins him the championship, and the uh, signs are from Philip Island are that he may well do that. He's looking much more like his old self. But a curious weekend um, for Joan Mir um, last weekend. Um, as I mentioned, it was an all-Italian podium, and the two Italians alongside Fanati were tasting a podium for the first time in Antonelli's case this year, in the case of the guy in third ever, um, but um, it's amazing. If we'd have gone back a year ago, Dre, to Nicolo Antonelli when he got the, the call up to go and join Red Bull KTM IO 
I don't think any of us would, any of us would have believed that it would have taken until Mategi for this guy to stand on the podium for the first time. But it's a measure of how badly this guy's season's gone. That is his first podium. And I think given how just demoralised this guy's been at some stages this season, I think we're all happy to yeah. see this guy with a smile on his face. It is nice to see him. Easy to forget, this guy won this Grand Prix two years ago um, when, when he was um, still at Danilo's old team, um, the Snipers team. Um, yeah, it says it all, really. Um, it's been an awful year for Antonelli by any measure, and I was expecting great things when we joined in Red Bull KTM Iowa team that has made a, made a knack of, you know, basically you know, getting the best out of other riders. And it's it's just not worked for them this year. And it's, it's a real shame because Anthony's been the biggest victim of this. But it is nice to see, you know, him on, on the podium smiling again. He's had, a, he's had real difficulties this year. And I, I'm glad they've been able to get it together for him. Mm, yeah, the uh, the race in, in Mategi being uh, rain-affected also gives us a chance to talk about a rider that we have never talked about before on this show. Um, and that is the uh, 18-year-old Italian Marco Bezzecchi. Um, who took his first ever Grand Prix podium. Um, and Dre, it has to be, it's worth noting, in their last season before they decided to focus all their efforts on Formula E, the first Mahindra podium of the season. Hey, Mahindra's still a thing, yo. Good to see, for now. Um, yeah, again, Bacchetti, tremendous performance in there, running with Antonelli pretty much all race long. Great, great, great ride from him. And yeah, just overall, just uh, it's not Steve Mahindra just kept like maybe that might be their last Grand Prix podium before obviously focusing their efforts on Formula E and giving a driver of a high the best chance possible of winning a title over there, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Felix being the guy who's, um, incidentally, this will be talked about next week on Motorsport 101, has not won the championship in Super Formula because they just canned the race altogether today. Um, yeah, of, uh, so, uh, Japan, they're, they're susceptible to the odd typhoon every once in a while. My yeah, bad. Why do they um, hold all these world sort of world level events at this time of the year like we saw the, the Fuji 6 hour Japiski fogged out last weekend the uh, MotoGP yeah. was wet from start to finish uh, and now the Super Formula season has ended in a quite literally a damp squib um, because the final race didn't happen um, <laughs> last weekend um, but yeah the uh, the one Japanese rider who um, did enjoy his weekend last weekend of course um, Nakagami kind of fluffed it from the pole but um, uh, Tatsuki Suzuki who's been a, a growing presence throughout this season he's um you know, with every race that goes past, you sort of see him in the top ten. I think, ah, oh, Suzuki's having another good race. Um, but fourth position for him, so narrowly missing out on his maiden podium um, in the Moto3 class for Suzuki. He finished fourth last weekend. The full result um, looks like this. Fanati the winner in this 13-lap sprint from Antonelli, um, with Bezeki in third. Tatsuki Suzuki fourth. Aaron Canet fifth. Philip Ertel sixth. Um, Fabio Di Gianantonio 7th Jakob Kornfeld on the Peugeot 8th another guy who's always good for a result in the wet um, Bo Benchneider 9th John McPhee 10th uh, Nakarin Adarat Fubupat 11th Bulliger the Poleman 12th Mino 13th having dumped oil around the circuit earlier in the morning Marcos Ramirez 14th and Jorge Martin takes the final point in 15th two spots ahead of Joan Mia who did not score at all as a result championship looks like this Mia the uh, leader on 2-7-1 as I mentioned, he still only needs 20 points from the last three races now to win the championship. And that's if Fanati wins the lot. Fanati's still 55 back in second, although he is all but certain now to finish as a championship runner-up because he leads Canet by 32 points. Canet's third. He's likely to finish third because he is some 48 clear of Dejan Antonio in fourth. He's 11 ahead of Martin, who's fifth. John McPhee, sixth. Ramirez, top KTM, still in the championship in seventh, although he's only a point ahead of Mino now in eighth. 
And here, Bastianini, ninth, and Philippe Ertl, who's also in the running for top KTM at the end of the season. In 10th, he is just six points behind Ramirez. Um, Ramirez, Mignot, and Ertl covered by six points in the battle for the top KTM runner in this season's championship. Right, before we go, let's uh, run you through some of the news. And as I mentioned, we're not going to be talking about what's happened so far this weekend in Australia or at Jerez. Uh, race one has happened um, in Jerez. Um, we were watching it uh, on Skype as we got ready to record this, um, which in many ways would have made a good podcast in of itself. Um, but we'll talk about mm. that next week um, on episode 36. Um, but we're going to stick with Moto3 um, for the first part of the news because... Um, this is a piece of news that Dre has been coming for a while now. The riders are officially on their final warning um, with regards for slow and irresponsible riding in qualifying. Um, race director Mike Webb has essentially um, sent a directive to the team saying that if this behaviour continues, I am changing qualifying next year. Yeah, that is about as emphatic a statement as it gets, really. Um, yeah, like... I've always suggested this, changing the format might be like the draconian last-ditch solution. Looks like we're having that conversation now um, because this is getting out of hand. This is getting ridiculous. Like, nothing is seemingly enough to change this behavior. So, they've like extreme extreme measures going to have to be taken here, guys. This is getting out of hand. Mm, yeah, and um, shout-out to Keith Ewan, who uh, tweeted the... Uh the piece of paper that was sent out around the Moto3 teams from the race director and the stewards, um, which I, I've got ahead of me because he tweeted it out at the weekend. Um, from race director uh, on October the 12th, the problem of Moto3 slow riding and waiting for the riders continues. This now also includes riders exiting pit lane and riding very slowly for the first sector or sectors of an outlap. The dangerous behaviour will attract further increased penalties. Repeat offences will be penalised more strongly and increasing penalties will include fine, grid penalty, pit lane start, black flag, suspension from sessions, disqualification from race, or withdrawal of championship points. They, as, as Julian Ryder wow. said, they are getting medieval on their asses. Yeah, they've had enough of your shit. Yeah. <laughs> This this isn't like 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 rest directors officially had enough. I was like, okay, like, like we, you don't know how far we're willing to take this now, basically. And yeah, they've had enough. They, and I can't say I blame them because this just keeps coming up um, for you know for for, for Moto for Moto Three where guys are just so irresponsible in how they're riding at the moment. And yeah, like I don't blame them for going like this because the way it's going around, this is this is just turning into a joke. It's it's. Like, how hard do you have to punish these guys before they get their shit together? It's it's ridiculous. Yeah, and there was a, a brilliant interview with Mike Webb on the uh, on Crash.net this week, um, which I'm trying to look for as I speak, because uh, he, he spoke about this, and he spoke about the fact that they're, they're, you know, their patience is running out and they're looking to um, put a halt to this, and that they will consider changing the qualifying format altogether for next season. They haven't decided what that format would be. One of the formats that was suggested was basically sending them out one at a time at like minute intervals and sending them out to qualify that way. Um yeah. which would be a um again a draconian way of doing it. Um but you know if the if the riders aren't gonna listen then um that might be the way to go. And, and Mike Webb also mentioned that in the rider briefing um they showed uh, an accident of a rider I forget the name of the rider so I'm not gonna 
guess it because it's a pretty serious incident. But a rider who, um, I don't know whether he was um, seriously injured or whether he was flat out killed by an accident, but they showed this to the riders in the press in the uh, rider briefing last weekend, I believe, uh, where they basically it was, a, it was an incident that was caused by one rider riding slowly on track and getting hit from behind, and they showed this to the riders and basically said, "This is what can happen, guys. Stop messing about." Like when we're not joking about with this, this is what can happen if you guys keep doing this. Um, and yeah, it, to be fair, in qualifying today uh, for the pound, there was absolutely none of it. Um, so perhaps the message is now getting through. But um, race directors have made it clear that if this continues, next season they're going to change the format. Um, and um, just to confirm from this um, statement from race direction, um, they've illustrated that repeat offences in the future will be counted per season, um, and each repeat offence will carry a higher penalty. Um, so you'll you imagine they'll start with group penalties, then if they repeat again, they'll be in the pit lane, then repeat again, they'll be black flagged. Um, and it says, many riders have several offences in 2017. So from Mategi last weekend, for some riders, the next offence may result in a pit lane start and further offence may result in disqualification. So we may see riders Jeez. before the end of the season flat out disqualified from a Grand Prix and qualifying if they don't behave themselves. Um, so, um, yeah, Race Direction have had enough of this and uh, they're trying to put a stop to it and we can't say we blame them. Um, MotoGP news, this news broke literally overnight in Australia. Um, surrounding Michelin, that they have announced that they are staying as the sole title supplier in MotoGP for the next five years until the end of 2023. Um, and I think this is good news, isn't it, Dre? Because uh, there's no question, since taking over from Bridgestone, who did a great job as MotoGP title suppliers but had very different... Uh, intentions with their tyres. Um, sure. Since Michelin came into MotoGP at the start of last year, they have without question enhanced the product. Absolutely. There's been just levels of unpredictability that we just haven't had before um, in, if, in in MotoGP to date. So, yeah, I've been very happy with the season overall. So, I, I have no complaints from this. So, keep Michelin around for as long as you need um, because they've, they've done a great job this season and it's added a lot of entertainment to the show. And that's ultimately what you want in bike racing. So, yeah, great job, Michelin, and I'm glad they're going to be sticking around for a while. Yeah, sticking around for the next five years. Um, sticking around in, in BSB is Michael Laverty. We mentioned him earlier on in the show um, for his sort of disappointing season. Um, he's going back home for next year, Dre. He's rejoining the Tyco BMW team, um, which, I mean, Michael Laverty, I, I don't know if you saw what he put on Instagram last week after his final race of the season where he finished in fourth. Um, and he, let me find it because I don't want to misquote him, but he was very um, it was very clear where he thought, he thought the, the fault lied for his, his rather disappointing season um, in BSB. Uh, here it is on uh, Instagram. Um, Michael Leverty. Um, I didn't ride any harder or better this weekend. I simply had an electronics engineer who listened to me. Which, um, yeah. Oh. Which um, is throwing that uh, ex-employee well and truly under the bus. Um, but um, for next season, he has um, departed in the Cam's Yamaha team, where it hasn't really worked for him, and rejoined Tyco BMW alongside Christian Eden, which just seems like a very good fit, doesn't it? It does. Again, obviously won races on that bike in the past. So, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a good spot for him at the moment. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I can't complain about that one at the moment. That's a very strong move. And, yeah, maybe BMW can get more than one bike in the show again next year. Mm, yeah, maybe so. And uh, he's already back at Tycho BMW incidentally because it's the Sunflower Trophy road races this weekend. And uh, Michael Levity is already back on a Tycho BMW uh, as we speak. Um, so that move didn't take very long, did it? Um, World Superbike news. Um, Roman Ramos is staying put next season with the Go11 uh, Kawasaki team. Ramos is one of the perennial midfielders in World Superbikes, although he did have his career best qualifying this weekend. So he's uh, he is improving in uh, World Superbikes, but he is staying put for next year. Also staying put on a Kawasaki next year is Scott DeRue, 
um, who's um, cost the uh, man who goes down in history. It's the first ever winner of a race in World Supersport 300. Uh, he won the only two races of this season, and he's staying with the MTM Kawasaki team for next year, where he will be hoping, of course, to compete for the championship. That championship will be decided this weekend. The inaugural World Supersport 300 championship decider takes place on Sunday uh, at Jerez. Um, the World Supersport championship can also be decided um, if Lucas Mahias has a good result, although he's um, doing his best from what I've seen in Super Bowl today to throw it away, even without his main title rival being there because um, he crashed in Super Bowl. Uh, but that title can be decided. World Superbike title long since decided. We won't tell you what happened in race one, um, but we will tell you about a name returning to the field. And uh, Dre um, is um, gagging to tell us about this one because Dre, um, our former world champion, Sylvan Gintoli, is back in World Superbikes. And um, by all accounts, if this goes well, these next two rounds, he'll be back full time next year. Yeah, like all I'm saying is, uh, I'm doing the Ric Flair strut walk as we speak. Um, it's 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 great. It's great. Gintas is back, yo. Gintas rides the, again. The, the Gintas rides again. The World Tour is just reconvened in Spain for this weekend, and the man is killing it right now. So let's hope, let's hope we can do enough to put myself back in the shop window for next year. So. Yeah, it's it's it, it's like good to see Ginter's back, and he's earned himself a, a short a short term gig at least. In, in in the meantime, hopefully something better will come along for next year. But uh, I won't tell you the result, but it was a very strong performance indeed from from Ginter's on that yeah, one. He did a good job in race one earlier today, and he's done a good job all weekend so far. Um, it kind of just shows though how much Pachetti wanted him on that bike because they had Anthony West on the bike um, last time out at. Um, well, a couple of rounds ago, Portimao, and last time out at Magni Core. But they've put Anthony West back into World Super Sport onto Foglu's bike, um, on Cal Ride's bike, should I say, to make room for Gintoli in the World Super Bike team. Um, and yeah, Gintoli has been in talks with that team to perhaps ride for Pachetti next year full-time. Um, and these next two rounds are basically a sort of an audition. If you go well and we like you, you like us, then you'll be with us, with us full-time next year. And the early signs are promising. Um, for Sullivan Gintoli. Um, that brings us to the end of uh, this episode of Motorsport 101. As I say, we normally end by previewing the weekend to come, but that weekend has already started. So we're going to save all that for next week uh, when we will have another yep. bumper show because we'll have both MotoGP and World Superbikes uh, to talk about on next week's show, episode 36 um, of Bike Life in Motorsport 101. And given that's John Mir's bike number, um, what odds have we got on him clinching the championship this weekend just in time for episode 36? Um, of Bike Life. Um, also coming next week, um, episode 109 um, of Motorsport 101, where we hope the electricity will hold together um, for a full show. Um, Silence! Where, well, <laughs> Dre might be hoping for a power cup because Lewis Hamilton could well wrap up the title this weekend at the Circuit of the Americas. Um, so, um, yeah, essentially, Dre, that's what's to come. Am I right next week? The Circuit of the Americas and the uh, United States Grand Prix, perhaps the crowning of a four time world champion, the second four time world champion on the current grid. I've ordered a new Daniel Ricciardo cap purely out of spite. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> Let's go, Ricciardo. Um, like the lady inevitable until Mexico. Yeah, don't let those win it in his home Grand Prix. Yeah, most likely we'll, we'll be talking about Cota most likely, and I mean the odds of Lewis Hamilton making it five Cota wins out of six would be. Low to say these weeks, eight to thirteen to win the Grand Prix this weekend, which is alarmingly low for F1 odds, um, to say the least. But uh, yeah, Lewis Hamilton most likely going to take to, you know, to at least put one hand on the championship if it wasn't already a coat. And hey, who knows? Maybe Ferrari will start something, and maybe we'll have enough to talk about a show for more than you know thirty minutes. Cross your fingers. Yeah. 
Episode 108 of Motorsport 101. And I'll probably be back on it for that one as well. If my power. Yeah, if the power holds. (laughs) Um, That's to come uh, next week. As I say, episode 36 of Bike Lab as well to come next week. Uh, we will review the Australian Grand Prix in Phillip Island, which always delivers entertainment. You, as we've seen in World Superbikes this year and for many, many years in MotoGP, you cannot fail. To, you cannot fail to have a good race around Phillip Island. It is the best motorcycle circuit in the world. Um, so we look forward to that, and also we will review what's happened um, at Hareth in World Superbikes. Uh, race one took place earlier today, and um, yeah, it had its first share of incidents, including a guy who was flat out robbed of a victory. Uh, we'll tell you who that was next week. Um, but we'll, uh, we'll review all that this time next week here on Bike Live. But until then, from myself and Andre Harrison, it's thanks for listening, and we will see you again next week.